one of the things I think that athletes need to to do, and maybe it's more women that have this intimidation, there's a lot of stuff you have to do alone. You can't depend 100% on doing something with someone else, um, especially, you know, as an endurance athlete. You have to be willing to go on runs alone. You have to be willing to run races where you just show up and don't know anybody. And being with my Wednesday group, with Cynthia, with you know Jen Johnson, and uh, you know Mike St. Laurent and Michelle Grenier, a whole bunch of people that I have grown to know and love, and their example has made me braver, you know, more willing to try these things. You, the idea of running on a trail alone as a woman can is intimidating, and I'm not saying that there aren't times that I'm still a little. You know, you get that, hey, I'm out here all alone, whether it's animals or people. But I know I have that whole bunch of people that do this all the time and it, and it normalizes that, right? Um, it's been a huge positive influence. So you, if you're with people that have this gusto and this courage and adventure, that becomes the person that you're gonna start to be. And it's it's been just, a hugely great benefit in my life. Hey there, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast coming to you from the Ascend Human Performance Coaching Studios here in beautiful Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you follow the show, thank you and welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as an exercise physiologist, coach, race director, and athlete told through the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Nancy Eckerson is my guest this week. This lifelong New Hampshire resident is as connected to the New England running scene as anyone I've ever known. And that connection runs deep both personally and professionally. When running came into her life in her late 30s, it was a way to improve her health and fitness. Over the next three decades, her passion for running would help her build strong friendships and create opportunities to combine that zeal with her love of writing. Her successful weekly running column, featured in Foster's Daily Democrat, Portsmouth Herald, and Seco Sunday, are evidence of that work. She shares what she's learned over the last 30 years covering the sport of running and being a runner herself. Well, here she is, Nancy Eckerson. Nancy, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you too. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm really eager uh, to have this conversation with you. Um, and uh, but let's 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 kick it off this way. So uh, I, I think I think you and I would both agree that getting off to a good start is really important, right? Absolutely. So let's let's start with this. Uh, uh, Nancy, how do you start your day? How do I start my day? Okay. Um, 
Well, there's definitely coffee involved in the start. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a person who likes to stick to a schedule. So if it's a Monday, I know that I'm gonna be working out at the gym. Um, you know, if it's a Tuesday, you know, I'll do different things. So I, I pretty much know the plan of my day um, going forward. And it really revolves around some sort of physical activity. It's a priority in my life. And, you know, I know when that's gonna happen. Um, and, and, you know, I, I definitely am a routine person. And I think that that helps me um, in many aspects of my life. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I asked that question um, in, 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 in part because <laughs> the, um, the sort of the, the ironic connection or the interesting connection um, and, and that relates to our, our, our work together uh, a year or so ago with respect to starts. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Um, but I've also personally done some uh, some investigation and some and some reflection and then some implementation around morning rituals. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, and uh, I just I'm, as I be as I become uh, more connected to this concept of, of morning rituals, um, I'm, I'm beginning now to sort of explore other people's morning rituals mm -hmm. and morning routines. You've obviously done a, a fair amount of, of, of writing over the years. Have you ever done any writing around uh, rituals? Uh, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned routines. I would sort of, I would use the terms ritual or the, the terms ritual and routine as, as synonyms here. Have you done any writing uh, around morning rituals? Um, no, I don't think I really have explored that much. Um, you know, I'm over the I don't think I was born a morning person. In fact, my family would definitely say that's not the case. But, you know, in this world, especially when you have a family, you you know, there's a lot you have to do in the morning. You're going to be up whether or not that's your natural state. And um, I think, you know, when I, I I'm a later in life athlete and that's something I know we're going to talk about. And I was. Um, I've definitely found that morning is the time I'm I'm best at, you know, doing whatever I'm going to do for the day, get out there, do it first. And then, you know, you know, it's a great way to start the day. And it's also, you can't avoid it. You know, it's, um, you put it off and it may not get done. Um, yeah. I, you know, I like to um, have quiet time in the morning. I like to be the first one up. Um, which was a huge challenge when the kids were little because you know you know how they are. Mm -hmm. But now that we are empty nesters, my husband Dan and I, and um, you know that quiet time where I can just sit and just enjoy the morning, whatever it is, whatever the weather is, just being happy that um, I'm here and um, there's another day to look forward to. Mm. So, uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure you would agree that um, uh, you know that those those first few minutes and hours of our day uh, oftentimes help to set the trajectory of our day, right? That, you know, that sometimes our, our first thoughts of the day uh, will help to, to, to determine, you know, how the day will unfold. Absolutely. Uh, right. I, and I think that, um, uh, that those first few minutes and hours are, are, are great opportunities um, to, to create the kind of day that, you know that that you, you know that that you enjoy and that mm -hmm. and, and that you look forward to and that and that bring value 
in, in meaning and purpose to your life. I'm going to, we're going to talk more about, about you uh, as uh, author, but let me, let me ask a, just a quick follow-up question as it relates to mourning uh, and, uh, and writing in this case. Um, when, when do you do your, the majority of your writing? Do you, do, do you do it at a particular time of day? Do you find that, that, um, uh, that uh, you're more creative and more productive from a writing standpoint? first thing of the day or later in the day? When does your I writing occur? Definitely. I'm not a first day, first thing in the morning writer. I'll hear about writers who get up at four or five and, you know, that's when they're most productive. That's not me. It takes a little bit for my brain to, to wake up. Um, I'll find, and somebody had asked me this once, if I, if I think up um, topics, I, I wrote a running column for many years, as, as you know, in our local New Hampshire Seacoast newspapers. And Somebody asked me, do I think up topics on the run? And the answer is yes, absolutely. I find when I go out and run, um, I really am open and, and free to the thoughts that, that come in and I have ideas and everything. So given that, if I go out um, and run, um, I tend to be at the computer, you know, maybe 10 to, to lunchtime and then afternoon, you know, after lunch. So those are my most productive times, not first thing midday ish. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> uh, I, I suppose like, like most, um, active creative people, um, uh, the experience is probably shared. And that is, um, I've probably written a hundred blog articles, uh, in my head, uh, while running or riding. <laughs> no. The challenge for me, of course, is if I don't jot notes down when I get home. Um, the next opportunity I have to sit down and write, I have completely forgotten uh, what I what I had sort of cooked up uh, in right. my head as a blog article. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you find that to be the same challenge as well? Again, you creatively, your, 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 your mind is really is really peaked uh, when you are being physically active. Do you feel do you find that when you you get back to your office that you have to scratch those ideas down oh, or, yeah. do they, or is there some permanence to them once yeah. you, once you think them up? Really depends, you know, um, but for the most part, I'm absolutely with you. I have little pieces of paper everywhere where I, you know, I, I write things down. Um, yeah, that, um, sometimes the, you know, it's not even just an idea. I'd find the occasion where I, a really awesome sentence would come and I wanted to make sure I didn't lose that, structure and the, the wording because, um, you know, it, it, there's no guarantee you're going to remember exactly that in the future. So yeah, I'm definitely making sure I'm taking notes and uh, I'm a big list maker in general. So yeah, that is part of the creative process. I agree. <laughs> well, good. It's, it's, it's good for me to know that I'm not alone there. Um, you know, as I was reflecting uh, upon uh, or thinking about this podcast and reflecting upon how uh, you and I came to know each other. It's, it's almost a certainty for me anyway, that um, I was familiar with your work before I think you and I probably had the opportunity to meet each other. Mm -hmm. We have a number of, uh, of, of, of mutual friends right. uh, in, in, in the running community. Uh, and so, so likely at some point it was through that, um, that mutual overlapping of network that, that we had the opportunity uh, to meet in person. Um, do you remember that uh, any, any, any differently? Nope. I, I um, interviewed you a couple times from race um, preview articles I was writing. I, I wrote an article about the Loon Mountain race and I 
interviewed you. I think it was um, perhaps email. I don't know that we spoke in person <laughs> at the time. Um, yeah, so I think I had a couple occasions I, I spoke with you regarding uh, running columns. Um, and then um, more recently, a couple summers ago, I, um, I hired you to help me figure out how to learn starting blocks because I had decided um, that I was going to attempt to do sprinting um, races in the New Hampshire senior games. And um, I had, if I had used starting blocks, it was back in junior high. So it had been a few fair amount of years. And so I knew, you know, when you're running a race that small, the start um, absolutely is the most important thing. You get off to a bad start and your race is almost over before, <laughs> you know, something that takes less than 10 seconds, you know. Um, so anyway, yes, um, I, it was a few years that I, I had knew you before I, I met you. Yeah. And I was intimidated by you, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that. Uh, well, please, please, please to please to tell more about that. Um, you know, um, sometimes uh, your manner seemed a little eh, just intimidating to me. You're, you know, a lot of um, really well-known runners have have come under your wing, and your the races you've been associated with are none too easy. So. Um, you know, again, me coming as a, a late in life athlete, um, I, you know, aspire to the levels that some of these these runners were at. And um, yeah, I was intimidated, not that, but I found working with you um, is, was not the case. You're, uh, as a coach, you certainly were right there for me and, um, you know, absolutely made everything um comfortable and um you pushed me but not in a way that was uncomfortable so mm. um well that's <laughs> that's um that's that's interesting to hear and uh not surprisingly it isn't the first time that i that i have heard that i certainly don't i, I don't intentionally um uh, put off an air of um of intimidation that's that's not my style but of course as you know um, oftentimes, uh, how we are perceived by others before uh, they get an opportunity to meet us um, has a lot to do with with mannerisms and or uh, the other people that we are associated with and, and right. connected to, uh, right? And and so people people make um, um, make assumptions and determinations about about who we are not because of of, of, of their personal interaction with us. Um, but more of our public persona. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yep. That's, that, that, that's always, that's always important, uh, an important insight, you know, so funny story about, about you reaching out to me a, a couple of summers ago, uh, to help you with, um, starting block technique for the, for the New Hampshire senior games, by the way, uh, it was thanks to you that um, I rekindled my um, uh, my my passion for uh, and um, and uh, uh, and and was reconnected to the sport of javelin uh, after working with you a few summers ago. Uh, I yeah. I probably was a was aware of the New Hampshire Senior Games, um, but but it wasn't in my consciousness. Yeah. Until until you and I had the opportunity again to work together as coach and athlete, and um, 
you directed me to the New Hampshire Senior Games uh, website, where lo and behold, I found out that they they do have uh, javelin as right. competition, right. and uh, and so I started. I picked that up. I think the the next summer. And um, I, I have you to thank for that. You were my inspiration to, uh, to to getting to getting back into that. And in fact, uh, while I didn't, I did not compete in the javelin this summer. I actually did compete in in the golf tournament, the New Hampshire Senior Games oh. golf tournament at yeah. the Beaver Meadow Golf Course in Concord, New Hampshire, uh, earlier this summer. And it was a it was a really it was a really cool experience. Um, uh, myself and and uh, I think there was one other guy in our fifties. Everyone else was was seventy or seventy years old and older. Yeah. Uh, so it so it was really it was really kind of cool. And I I stuck around for the whole thing. I I was there early. I stayed for the for the luncheon and the award ceremony after. And uh, it was it was a super cool experience. Again, I I would not have had the opportunity to do those things if not for you. And, oh, well, uh, so thank you. You're they, welcome. They, you know, yeah. I think, um, you know, I had heard about the senior games, which um, for people that don't know, it's age 50 and above. And every state has um, has a competition. And then there are national games. Um, and, and to be honest, there's misconceptions. Right. And, and even when I was in my early 50s, I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to do the senior games as if, you know, I'm not going to be with those older people. And then once I finally did it, I was blown away by the talent, the enthusiasm, the incredible zest for people getting everything they can out of their lives at older ages. And it really will change your view on what it can be to be an older athlete. I mean, there are people, you know, like you mentioned, there's field games and there's a woman from Vermont and I'm, I'm offhand, I don't know her name, who like pole vaults and, and high jumps and long jumps and does sprints in her 80s. And she's phenomenal. Flo Florence, something I'd have yeah, to look flow. it up. Yeah, Flo, I, yeah. I know, her as, I know her as Flo. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's important um, in society. We are a culture that, you know, aging isn't always looked upon fondly, right? To put it mildly. And as athletes, we go through changes in life. Um, but I, you know, you can get with the right bunch of people with the attitude that I'm going to get whatever I can out of myself at whatever age I'm at. And it's so encouraging and just very optimistic view. So it's cool that you decided you wanted to be a part of it too. And um, yeah, I didn't compete this year. I had, I was getting over an injury, but I, you know, next year I'm entering a whole new decade of my life and so <laughs> we shall see i think i think next year i'll be approaching you know see what i can do next year and uh I, the 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 national senior games uh is every other year so uh the the national games uh, were not held uh this year um uh no they were held this year they were held in pittsburgh this right. year um Next year will be a qualifying year for the national senior games. The following year, I believe, yeah. I believe that's how it works, right? You, 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 you qualify in the off years uh, of the national games. I had actually qualified for the national games uh, in Pittsburgh uh, uh, in the javelin last year. 
Um, but my wife and I took a trip to Europe instead. So I missed, yeah. <laughs> which was, which was an absolutely perfect trade-off and I, and I don't regret that at all, but I do look forward to getting back into the javelin, uh, next year with the idea of attempting to qualify for yeah. wherever the national games are the year before. Here's the funny story. So you reached out to me and, um, and asked if, if, if I would be willing to, uh, to coach you in starting block technique, uh, for the 50 meter dash. And, um, you know, as a, as a, as an exercise physiologist, um, and, uh, uh, you know, professional human performance, uh, coach, I pride myself in the ability to be able to coach just anything, actually, even if I don't have firsthand direct knowledge in it. Now I, I was a field athlete, uh, in high school. I threw the javelin in high school. I didn't, I wasn't, <clears throat> wasn't a track athlete. I certainly wasn't a sprinter in high school. <laughs> um, and, 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 and at that time, when you asked me, um, I, I had not coached an athlete in starting block technique. Huh. However, um, again, as an exercise physiologist, um, I, I can break down any sport. Um, and, th and so therefore I, I feel confident that I can coach it. And so, <clears throat> I don't know, it was maybe a few days after you had reached out to me and I was visiting my my parents and uh i happened to mention to my dad that uh that i i had a new client and uh and he said well what 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 does she do and and i explained to him what uh you know what our work together was going to entail and he looked at me and he said you don't know anything about starting block technique and i said well I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about it right now. I said, by the time, but by the time Nancy and I get together, I'm going to be a darn near an expert on starting block technique and, uh, with, uh, with support and encouragement, um, and, and sort of a progressive approach to this. I said, I'm, I'm 100% confident that I, that I can help her. Um, <laughs> and so I have no idea, Chris, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, the other thing too is, it, and, and I'm sure you can appreciate this, is that um, uh, you have to be confident, right? And uh, and and so I was confident in my ability to coach it, um, e even if I didn't have decades of experience in doing it, either personally or professionally. I had no doubt uh, that I was going to be able to help you, and uh, I think it turned out okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I went from you know, well, you, you saw that I, when you push off on the starting blocks, the first thing that may happen is that you will fall on your face because the feeling of, of launching basically um, is something to get used to, you know, and when you watch the, you know, elite athletes, you watch the Olympics, they make it look so easy. It is not, it is not. And, you know, um, I needed to be able to get what I could out of it in the short period of time. You know, I think I hired you in July and the, the games were in August. So I had an amount of time to practice, but really not what I need to do, you know, and going forward, if I decide that I'm going to continue with that, I mean, when I, you really need to have your own set of starting blocks and you need to put it as part of your practice year round. Right. Um, but you got me from not having a clue of what to do to working through the different ways to start a three point stance, you know, and then the starting blocks, figuring out, you know, which leg is your lead leg, how, far apart do you put the 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 blocks um what angle is it is 
what you need to do and, and use them, you know, and I did. And I, and I ran um, the 50 and the 100 meter races um, for a couple different senior games. And both of them, I qualified. I, uh, you qualify either by time or by place. And I placed second and third in, you know, for all of the races and qualified for nationals. So um, there were people that don't use the starting blocks. It's not required. Um, but, I, you know, absolutely. And if I was to improve on my times, that has to be something that's, you know, crucial to your to your start, you know, um, just watching a recent um, meet on TV, you know, that the whole thing is, oh, well, did he get a good start or not? Or did she right? if you're in a really short race, like the 100 meter, it's everything. So I knew that that was a building block that I needed. And uh, you got me past the, I'm going to fall on my face stage to being able to do it. And, and, uh, you know, I had borrowed a set of starting blocks from University of New Hampshire, which was very kind. And, and that's where I practiced most of the time. And you would meet me at the track there. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I could do it. And, you know, you, and um, I think really key for me in your coaching was the, the use of video because I'm a very visual person. And when you could say to me, well, you need to have, you know, this is the position you're in, you need to straighten your back or whatever it was, and you could show me, and then, you know, try this, do it again, look, you know, and I could see the improvement, you know, and then, you know, every week, we'd meet and uh, in the off, when I wasn't with you, I would record myself, and then I could look at it and see what am I doing right? Is my arm swing correct? There's, there's all of these little things that you, you know, in any sport, but when you're learning, um, you know, what am I doing wrong? What am I ignoring? You know, when it's been so long since I had actually done any track, which was only one season way back in junior high. So, um, yeah, you got me able to, you know, to line up there with these people and yeah, I know what I'm doing, setting up these starting blocks, you know, and then go ahead and do it. So it was, it was a blast. It was a blast. Well, it was, it was fun to watch your development just in that short time that, that we had the opportunity to, to work together. Um, and, uh, again, I'm, 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 I'm pleased that it all, uh, worked out the way that it did, uh, again, in, in, a, in a short time that, uh, yeah. that we had an opportunity to, uh, to interact. Um, Nancy, for the listener who doesn't, who doesn't know you, uh, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself? Okay. Um, I'm Nancy Eckerson. Um, I am a lifelong New Hampshire resident. I, I grew up in the Southern part of the state and now live in the seacoast area, Married, uh, stepdaughter, son. Um, my husband and I are now empty nesters, and uh, I have had a number of different careers in my life. I, I went to school for computer science, um, and and worked in the software industry for for many years, um, programming and as a project manager, and um, always had this passion for writing in English, and it was always kind of on the back burner for me. It never for many reasons, you know, um, um, but I, I ended up leaving the software industry when, when my son was um, young and decided, well, you know, what am I waiting for? So I, I um, pursued my, my love of writing. I, I joined writing groups, it's, you know, joined writing groups, went to writing conferences and just really decided I'm gonna put myself into this and see how far I can go. Um, also, at the time is when I, you know, I was in my 30s um, and felt I hadn't really done a lot 
to maintain my fitness in life. And that's when I started to run as well. So at a point, these two loves, because I, I fell in love with running like many, many people do, absolutely one of the best things I could have ever done and 100% threw myself into it and learned everything I could, read everything I could. And, and through my reading of all, all about running, whether it was memoirs or you know newspaper articles, at one point I decided to, to meld the two. And I um, noticed in our local Seacoast papers, the Foster's Daily Democrat and um, Portsmouth Herald, the uh, longtime columnist, Andy Satchett, stopped writing. The column wasn't in the paper anymore. And I remember like, it was my favorite thing I did back in the day when we would get papers delivered. And it was like, ooh, it's a Sunday. I can read Andy's column and you know learn what's going on in the local, uh, race community and it just wasn't there. And so I, you know, contacted the the editor and said, hey, you know, I could write a running column. Not that I'd ever written a running column or a newspaper column in my life. And, uh, you know, I had to really be persistent. And he got back to me and said, hey, just send us three, three columns and, you know, we'll see. And so, so then it's like, uh-oh, you know, be careful what you ask for. And I went ahead and wrote what I thought might be three interesting columns. And lo and behold, they said, sure, come on board. So that was in 2011. And I, I wrote a, a weekly running column for them for over seven years. Um, at one point, they asked if I would mind covering a road race. I, my first one was Red's Shoe Barn, five miler in Dover. And I said, sure. And, you know, as a writer, you, um, and interestingly, also as a software engineer, you, you copy things from, you want to get the, the sense of, if I'm writing for this publication, I want to sound like that publication, right? So after, you know, being a huge reader of newspapers, I knew sort of what I needed to write. Um, and and uh, Mike Whaley, who was the editor at um, the Foster's Daily Democrat at the time, also said, hey, do you take photos? So I had a digital camera and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at setting up a photo and taking a nice, you know, but had I ever done sports photography, <laughs> but I said, yes, of course. And so I remember that first race, I'm sitting in the parking lot. I haven't, you know, I had my brand new digital recorder. This is what reporters use. Right. So I, I knew I, you know, to record the interviews with people and my camera looking up how to, you know, take a photo of, something moving basically. So I could be at the finish line and, and take the runners coming across because you needed at least the, the male and female winners. Um, and, and, and it worked out, you know, I um, along the way have learned, you know, I've gotten a better camera. I learned about vibration reduction in, in the lens so that you, you know, you don't get a blurry shot. Um, you know, and, and, and like much, much in life, it's learning by doing. You, you figure it out along the way. And um, the more you say yes to things, I think, you know, your opportunities come along. So um, it was a total blast doing that, um, writing for the paper. Um, I, um, stop me if I keep rambling on, but I, oh, you know. I love it. Okay. Um, so I think a big turning point in my writing was, you know, at the 2013 Boston Marathon, what happened there. Um, I, you know, at the time, I would write the weekly column and the sports writers at the papers would be the ones that went down to cover the marathon because it's huge. 
Um, living here an hour away or so from Boston, you know, so many people who run the marathon, right? We are immersed in it here. I mean, it's a um, the oldest continuous marathon in the world, a classic, you know, you can watch it street, you know, right on TV everywhere. It's such a big, big thing. And so I would interview people for the first few years that I was at the paper, but never get to go down and actually be there. And once the, the you know, the, the 2013 horrific terrorist attack happened there, you know, and I knew people that were there. Um, I wanted to be more a part of it. So I started lobbying that, hey, you know, I should be the one down there. I should be the one covering it at the finish line for the paper because I'm part of the running community um, more so, you know? And again, I asked and the answer was, okay. So, you know, I got my media credentials and, and covered uh, the finish line couple times. And I'll tell you, when I first walked in, um, the the process of doing this, you know, um, I take the bus down and get make my way to Copley Plaza Hotel, which is at the finish line of the Boston Marathon. It's where the media all t um, hangs out, basically. And I walked into the ballroom and um, I had to take a photo and send it to my husband. It was like, you know, hundreds of people, journalists from all over the world. They have all of the screens up, the TV screens showing various parts of the race. It was like, wow. You know, it was as amazing as it is as a runner to do that, which I've never done. Somebody covering running, it was such a big deal. It was just amazing. So um, I, I worked with Mike Z, who was a journalist um, at uh, Portsmouth Herald at the time. He and I would go down and he really helped walk me through like here's what we're going to do you know so you're sitting there and you could track runners back then it, it, not as easily as like the app now but we would you know on our computers set up spreadsheets of all the people that we knew were running from the local area track them you know and, and eventually i mean i had to get over being so blown away by actually watching the race and being there that i was working and had to you know follow and see like, when is the first runner gonna come in from the seacoast area so we can be out there at the finish line. Um, so we'd go out and uh, Andy Satchett, um, who you know was the columnist that I, I took over from after he left the paper, he um, was and still does announce at the finish line. Um, and and he, he's also been a huge help in my, writing and in, you know, especially in, in races, because I'll tell you, he knows everybody. He has been in the, the, you know, running community in New Hampshire for so long. And so he would, you know, help to spot people because, you know, once people start coming in, it's like a trickle and then it's a like explosion and you're trying to spot people I had interviewed or people that we were looking for in this mob of slowly walking because people had finished, you know, right. and they're coming in, but it's, you know, unless somebody like, and I was always so thankful when somebody had like a 603, you know, singlet or something that I could identify. I'm like, Oh, wait. Um, and we'd go over and, you know, I, I, you know, I pick out people and interview them and take their photo. And um, sometimes we'd have to, take second fiddle to WMUR is always there because again, it's, which is the, the TV station based in New Hampshire. It's a big deal for everything in New Hampshire when the Boston marathon happens. So sometimes it, you know, they'd interview them. Then I would collect everything. I'd take my um, recordings back on the bus and I'd be transcribing as I'm riding the bus home and then get to my computer around, 
you know, four or so in the afternoon and have to submit by nine. So it, it's like a, a whirlwind when you, when you do this, but man, it was, it was amazing. You know, a really amazing experience. So. Um, yeah, I, I find it, I find it fascinating uh, and interesting that, um, uh, that, that you and I sort of have that shared common experience of uh, agreeing to do something that we, neither one of us had a whole lot of experience in doing. <laughs> you with, with 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 writing a running column yeah. uh uh and and me uh coaching you in the uh in starting block technique uh and yet you know with with enough um with enough research uh, uh and a a plan uh and some confidence um you can make these things happen right by 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 putting yourself out there um and so i i i, I <laughs> I think it's really funny that 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 we 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 have that um, we have that common shared experience. Um, but I, I want to talk a little bit more about um, about you as uh, as storyteller mm -hmm. and uh, the stories uh, that that you help uh, uh, to tell. Um, and and let, but let's set it up this way. Uh, I'm going to ask you two questions about those. The, the first question is, uh, Nancy, what what do you think makes a good story? I think the best stories are when you're writing about somebody who's really reflected on what's important in their life, you know, what have they learned, what are their influences, and um, where are we and where are we going? You know, somebody that's really spent some time, you know, really thinking about what's important to them, you know, and then... Um, paints a picture, you know, and I, I, when I was preparing for this, I, I read a whole bunch of my former columns and, and there's definitely people that stood out to me, um, for, for various reasons, you know, um, um, do you want me to talk about the, the different people yeah. in the stories yeah. or what would yeah. you like? Yeah, please. Yeah, please. Okay. What, what are, what, what are some of the more memorable, uh, stories that you have been able to so, share and tell. You know, it's been it's been really interesting how running seems to cross over into areas that I never believed it would. You know, would I ever have thought I would be writing about terrorism as far as writing and in a running column? No. Um, some some well-to-do people, well-known people like Dean Carnassus. He um, ultra runner, very ultra marathon. What is what he wrote? Of many books. People are mostly familiar with Dean Carnassus. I'm sure he was coming to the Portsmouth Music Hall um, to speak about a book. And so this was really early in my running column um, life, and I, you know a little intimidating to to think about speaking with somebody that was that well known but he uh he had a four mile fun run that anybody could go on so uh there i was running next to dean you know asking him some questions about um you know how how do you keep going in a 200 mile race or something and then uh you know so that again that was just my learning process of, of trying to not be too intimidated um but from people in the local community, um, I found out stories, and I think that it's it, interesting how many people discovered hidden talents later in life. You know, I have a, a neighbor, um, Kathy Northrup, who 
didn't know she was a phenomenal runner. She she went out running one day in her 30s and was like, huh, this is kind of fun. And, and you know, long story short, she ended up coming in sixth in the Boston Marathon for women in 1985. You know, somebody who went from, you know, I didn't know I could run to being, you know, every year when the, the media gets a um, book about the history of the Boston Marathon, they they post uh, lists of the top 10 every year. And I told her forever, you're gonna be in that because you came in, you know, top 10 in, in, in women, which is really amazing. Um, I had been, I, I read a lot and um, Matt Fitzgerald, I don't know if you're familiar with Matt, he's a, a well-known running, um, writer and I read, was reading one of his books. I love his writing. And he mentioned that he went to Oyster River High School. And I, I perked right up because Oyster River High School is in Durham, um, where I live. And I, I couldn't believe that this is a person who's actually from here, you know, and he's he's gone on. So I ended up interviewing him. Uh, he lives in California now. And he, uh, he told me, I was waiting for somebody to figure out that you know, that there's a connection here. So that was really awesome. Um, um, Randy Pierce is a really memorable person I've written about. He um, he went to UNH. Um, he lost his vision in his 20s. Um, and he is a phenomenal runner, um, regardless of any disability. He is a really great runner, very talented and has the most inspiring outlook on life. He just was dealt some very difficult changes and managed to not let him slow him, slow him down literally and figuratively in life. So I, um, I wrote about him because we had local runners who were his running guides as he ran the marathon and uh, yeah, very memorable person. Um, Brandon Newbold, who is a mountain runner, um, absolutely fascinating story about growing up in Alaska, you know, and I felt very transported to his world. And he's also a musician and just that combination, you know, so um, the good, you know, what am I, I'm trying to like, what's the bringing all of these people that really stand out together, you know, again, it's hidden talents, and, and really thinking about what they've done in life and, and where they're going next. So, well, there's the, there's the story, um, but the, there's also the storyteller, right? And so e even the, even the greatest story um, might not get told if not for the storyteller. Mm -hmm. um, Nancy, what, what do you think makes a good storyteller? Well, I think a storyteller has to do a ton of research. Um, you have to really know your subject, and that means you listen to what they say, but you also follow up and, and do the background. You know, I, I was made it a point that, you know, I would, if somebody said that they did this in a race, I made sure that I confirmed that they did that in the race, for example, that everything I was told was accurate. Um, so that's one thing. Um, I, um, you know, I let, I'd have a week to write a story. So I would think about different aspects of the life of this person and, and what are the things that I think people would be interested in. Um, you know, you just have to really 
get inside of from what they say and what other people have said about them and and what do you want to focus on you know in their in their life um i have found the running community and runners in general to be you know friendly gracious you know few egos even of the most talented in fact the most talented people seem to be the the least egotistical from my you know from my um research and um the time I was doing the column was a, a real boom in running, you know, and there was so much information you could find. Cool running, I'm sure you remember the cool running website. Um, and so there was always a place you could find race results. And it was, it was a, you know, a wealth of information to dig into about people. So, um, yeah, I would say lots and lots of research and, and uh, trying to figure out what is it that essence of the person you want to come across. Has your has your storytelling evolved uh, over the years as you've gained more experience with it? Oh yeah, you know because I, I think in my own life I've gained you know more experience in things. So you as you go through things in life, it gives you a perspective. You know um, you can't as a twenty year old write the same way as somebody who's you know gone through loss in their life or. Um, seen the physical changes that happen. So I think you have a, you know, the, the more you talk to people, you think about, first of all, different things you might want to ask somebody else, but also the more in life you experience, it gives you um, that, like I said, that perspective to um, understand where someone's coming from or, um, or maybe not if I'm interviewing somebody who's much younger, you know, thinking, they're not quite there yet, but their story at this time is how, you know, is where they're at. So, hmm. yeah. You, you mentioned Matt Fitzgerald. Um, are there any other storytellers that have inspired you? Oh, absolutely. I have taken, I have a pile of books next to me just in case. Um, I had uh, a great opportunity to attend a writing camp, a writing running camp for women called Wilder, which is in 2018, Wilder, Maine. It took place in Northport, right near Camden. And uh, Lauren uh, Fleshman, a professional runner, um, started these retreats. And I actually knew her, of her first from her writing. She, I always thought, was a beautiful writer. And um, when this opportunity came to be immersed in a, in a long weekend with other like-minded women and, and being led by other writing professionals. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a phenomenal experience. Um, I, you know, like I said, in my long list of writing, I really love George Sheehan, Dr. George Sheehan. I don't know if you've read some of his work, um, running and being, you know, really captures that feeling of, the freedom of running, that um, connection you have to the world and more of our sort of animal selves, you know, he is an amazingly beautiful writer. Um, Haruki Murakami, when I talk about, what I talk about when I talk about running is another just beautiful, beautiful book. Again, that essence of why do we do this? You know, when people look at runners, from the outside and we're not always with the happy faces out there running, you know, they might think, oh, why do people do that when they put themselves through it? But they're, you know, if you really 
let yourself get to the point where you can immerse yourself in, in the act of running. It is really a, a spiritual and, and a transformative type of, of movement. And, uh, you know, those runners that kind of connected to that are the ones that really um, meant the most to me. And I love memoirs too, because of the whole storytelling. So um, why people decided to run and what it meant to them in their life. So but those are the ones that really stood out. <clears throat> I have found that um, most proficient writers are also voracious readers. Mm -hmm. um, I suspect, uh, I mean, you just rattled off a, a, a number of books, so I suspect that's the case for you as well. Oh, yeah. Um, it, is there a book that you are reading now or books that you're reading now? I just finished a novel, um, but running related books. The last one I read was Lauren Fleshman's put out a memoir called Good for a Girl. And uh, really recommend that um, women runners out there and also just parents of young girls to understand, you know, what things might the girls have pressures about that young boys don't. Uh, the trans the different ways that women are treated in sports. Uh, the, yeah, it was, it was really eye opening, and I thought that was excellent. Um, mm. yeah. um, you, you, you mentioned that you were uh, in, intimidated by me years ago. Um, <laughs> uh, writing uh, is intimidating for a lot of people, and yet I suspect that there are. Uh, I mean, you 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 mentioned uh, this idea of hidden talents. I suspect there are um, there are a fair number of people uh, who have a voice um, uh, that 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 um, that could be expressed through the mechanism of writing, um, but but they're just intimidated by 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 the the idea of it. Yeah. I, I guess maybe not maybe not so different than someone um, who isn't a runner, but is intrigued by running, um, but is stuck in, 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 in their current state because it just seems too overwhelming uh, to go from not being a runner to being a runner. And I wonder if it's the same with writing. Um, do you have any, do you have any um, uh, uh, insights or, um, or, um, recommendations for people who may be interested in writing, whether it's whether it's something as simple as starting a blog. Uh, yeah. How do you go, Nancy, from from not being a writer to to, to being a writer? And do do you feel like that uh, that that writing is something that is um, that is accessible to to, to 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 many people or to most people? I, I absolutely. Everybody has a point of view and experiences in life, right? The, I think the first thing that people need to understand is it won't be perfect at first. And that's okay. If you're looking to write something and that's it, that's the process is much different. And and the just get started, put it down and understand that you'll be editing, editing, editing all the time. Uh, the more you can just put something on paper and not expect it to be perfect, the, the more your writing will, will progress. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty private person and I enjoyed writing about other people, but when I wrote columns that were very personal, 
it was almost agonizing for me to think that people would be reading these things about me. So I understand that, but the the more that we're we get our vulnerabilities out there and talk about them. Those are the columns that I would hear the most about. People really relate to hearing about your your struggles and your you, you know the, the things in life that are challenges and how you or even the joys the, the that you want to write about. Um, so I would say you know just open up a doc. You know say there are word document or something and have an idea and just just start and um, see how it goes. I, I highly recommend, again, writing groups because you'll get to hear and be with people that understand that it can be a difficult process, but you just keep going, um, so. Um, I, I think that's that's great advice for sure. Um, well, let's, let's talk uh, specifically uh, about uh, one piece of your writing uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take you back okay. uh, to July of 2014. Uh, as I was, as I was reviewing uh, some of your work uh, during the time that you were writing for uh, Foster's Daily Democrat and, and the Portsmouth Herald, um, one, one article that you wrote um, really sort of, it piqued my interest uh, because I think, I think that my audience um, would have a, uh, would have a particular interest in this topic and more specifically, a particular interest in uh, your reflections uh, uh, in the in the decade uh, that uh, that has followed uh, the writing of this article. So, July of 2014, uh, you wrote an article titled "What I've Learned as a Masters Runner." Okay. Uh, so, uh, for clarification, in July of 2014, uh, you uh, you were in your early 40s? Um, yes, uh, 2014, I actually, yes. Yeah, early 40s. Early 40s, yep. right? Um, and, 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 and this article, you know, I, again, to your point about um, finding it easier to write about other people than to write. Actually, yeah. 50, I think I turned 50. Anyway, go ahead, I'll, I would have to do the math. <laughs> Ten years ago, you ten years ago you were in your early fifties. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, in my fifty, I was fifty ten years ago. Yes. Okay. Very good. So, um, so, so this, and you started running, uh, you started running in your in your early thirties. So you you, th th this this piece of writing was uh, was a reflection of your running in your forties. Right. Okay. As a master's runner, I mean, generally, yep. generally we would we would categorize masters runners as uh, runners or athletes uh, that are 40 years uh, of age and older. Correct. Right. Correct. So this, this article, uh, this article then was a reflection about uh, upon that decade uh, of, of, of running and, and being a runner in, in your forties. And again, you, you, you talked about uh, how for you, it, it, it was, it was always easier to write about other people than, than it was to write about yourself. Well, this article was actually about you. You, yeah. you I'm were, sure I was uncomfortable writing it, <laughs> but, but it, but it was, but it was really well-written. And, and so what I want to do, Nancy, let, let, let's talk about, um, let's talk about your reflections at that point. Um, and, um, and, and, and then, and then let's talk about how uh, and whether or not any of those things have changed in the in the decade that has followed since okay. since you wrote that article. Um, so, 
so I, I I pulled some bullet points uh, out of this article. Again, these are these are the these these were the lessons that you had learned uh, as a at that time a 50 year old athlete uh, who had been uh, running for the past decade or so, running yep. running through your 40s. Uh, the first thing that you noted uh, as a as a as a lesson that you learned is that you can get faster and stronger as a master's runner. Nancy, as much as you can recall, what did you mean by that at that time? Um, it, it means, especially if you started later as an athlete, that you can improve, that there's this you know, general feeling that people slow down. Well, you slow down relative to your 20-year-old self, but if you have just started the sport, you have a long growth period that you can improve upon. Um, and in some ways, there are advantages to starting later because you um, haven't had the decades of perhaps breaking down things in your body that might have happened. So yeah, there's, you know, from a running and weightlifting point of view, which I didn't start until a decade later, but you absolutely can build um, your, your strength, you can learn your technique and you can, um, get faster. So. Absolutely. Uh, and, and in the, in the decade that has followed, uh, since you wrote that article, um, have you found that, uh, that, that lesson to have, uh, uh, been durable, uh, in the, in the last decade? Um, I would say what happened, I, I kind of reached a peak um, as far as my speed went in the events that I would run in maybe when I was about 50. And then um, I have, you know, some, some biomechanical challenges, the way that my body is built. My, you know, I have sort of an inward rotation of my, both my femur and my, my um, tibias. So um, once I kind of learned the best way to, to work with that, it's, it's helped. But I think the, you know, as far as the speed on longer distances, I haven't been able to improve on that. Um, I found taking up different types of, of activities, though, I, I've run a lot more on trails now. Um, and then you have a whole, you know, it's it's really a very different sport than, than road running. So you have, a you know, all kinds of new things you can improve upon. So if you're trail running, your power hiking is important. And I have a long ways to go to be a better power hiker. So, you know, I really think I still have ahead of me, you know, if I, if I ch challenge myself to learn new ways to do that, that I can improve. Um, obviously going to the very short distances and on the track, that's a new way to, to get your, your PR. So, um, and then adding in other important aspects like like weight training, um, which I had neglected, it's been very important. Mm. I mean, I I, I I feel like that um, that that oftentimes um, as we are as we're learning and growing uh, in a new sport or activity, um, early on the the performance becomes the the driver, the inspiration. Um, at some point, however, uh, I think for, for many people, the, uh, the objective or the purpose or the why for the activity evolves. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it evolves away from performance-based goals mm -hmm. uh, to, uh, to experiences. Mm -hmm. 
to shared experiences more specifically, uh, to connection with community. Hmm. Um, and, um, and, and, and so, uh, and, and, and as we, and as we move away from performance-based expectations to more process-based expectations and process-based goals, uh, we find that, um, uh, that these sports can be just as rewarding even if we are not setting uh, personal bests, yeah. uh, as we again, as we as we as we evolve in our mindset uh, from uh, from how do I figure out how to go faster or, or go further to how do I figure out a way to uh, make this activity more meaningful in my life and what does it actually mean to me? Because because <laughs> ultimately it's not about the PRs and and the and the accolades and the medals we hang around our right. neck. It's about it's about experiences, yeah. uh, and it's about personal growth and development, and that personal growth and development uh, uh, comes even if uh, PRs don't follow. So, right. I, it, it, do you feel like that that has been part of your journey as well? Oh, absolutely, and I feel that the more that any, any athlete takes that to heart and realizes that it's okay if you have reached the peak of your PRs and just don't focus on that as being the only reason you do the sport. You will have huge longevity. I mean, that is in running the whole reason why there are age groups and age graded performances, right? You know, as far as those types of goals. But, um, you know, when I look back on, on races that I'm most proud of, the ones I'm most proud of are the ones where I felt that I was mentally in it the whole time, you know, and it's difficult to do that, that I felt that I put everything I could into it. And whether the result was a PR or not, wasn't as important as knowing that, you know, for example, there was this half marathon I ran in my forties um, that I felt every single mile I was in it. And that was a huge win for me. I never got to any point where I was like, Oh my God, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. That I was like, okay, you know, the whole time. So that kind of a goal that can be your goal forever, right? You can always mentally be in it. Um, you, absolutely. So, and then the, then they're looking at like, okay, so I've done these things. What are the other things out there in the world for me to try as far as like new experiences and how you can use your, your fitness and, you know, just to, to test out things. So, yeah. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, great segue to the second lesson you learned uh, in 2014, and that is you can try anything, any race, any kind of training. Um, wh what did you mean at, at that time? That you, you know, shouldn't, you don't have to self-limit your, your, what you're going to pursue. You know, I, I, there's this freedom of being an adult, I think, where who's in charge, we're in charge, right? We're the ones who get to decide, you know, how we want this chapter of our life to go. And so I, you know, tried all kinds of things. I mean, I tried from the mile race, you know, all the way up to the marathon. I um, ran on, I've run on the track. I run on the, the roads, trails. I did some triathlons, right? You should leave, you know, no matter what your view of yourself was as a um, young person, as an adult, you, you pave the way and um, it's, you know, there's so much out there that we should not make ourselves, put our own ourselves into like this one, I'm only a, you know, whatever that is. Cause you know, you never know. 
I think oftentimes um, people are hesitant to uh, uh, to not be good at something. Um, <laughs> we, uh, you, you know, we 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 love the beginner's mindset. We love the wonder and excitement of doing something new. Um, but there's also some fear and trepidation associated with fumbling through something new mm -hmm. um, that, um, you know, when we become experienced and proficient at something, uh, that feels good, too. Like people, t I think oftentimes people tend to do the things that they're uh, that they're most experienced in um, because they have more they have more self-confidence uh, uh, as it relates to that activity. I think I, I think there has to be a. Um, uh, a conscious attempt at putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations, particularly as it relates to proficiency, to doing new things. Yeah. In 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 the decade that has followed, um, would you say that 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 lesson has changed at all for you about putting yourself out there and and and, and trying new things? I don't think so. You know, I, I, I would say um, it definitely is well beyond running. You know, I, I try, you know, I think your world can be as big as you want it to be, right? And you can decide that, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna attempt this thing. Um, for example, I um, did some cross-country skiing way back in high school, just part of gym. We had an awesome gym program where we could actually cross-country ski, at, you know, during the period, which uh, was phenomenal. And I hadn't touched them since, you know, high school. And my husband, Dan, would, you know, take his skis out behind where we live. We connect to a lot of conservation land. And, you know, he would just take his skis out and just, you know, just have a blast. And I was like, well, why am I not trying this? I need to try this, right? So I can downhill ski, which is a, a, another sport I learned as an adult, and thought, well, how, how hard can this be? So bought some skis and the, the, you know, the Nordic skis that have edges on them so that you have a safety net when it comes to going down hills. You know, at least I can, you know, do the, uh, you know, a wedge uh, to know how to stop and everything. But yeah, it's, it's taking up things that it's, it's learning, you know, and I, I think in, in that particular sport, I've been doing it for a couple winters. I think I, I may take some lessons. I think I could be more efficient if somebody showed me how to do this. So that's something as an adult, I have always looked at, you know, whether it was learning to downhill ski, many, many lessons. When I was doing triathlons, a neighbor and I had a coach help us with our swimming technique because swimming is so technique focused, right? Always a good idea to have, you know, some, some people to help you, um, and to, to not worry about being a beginner. I think there's so much fun that you can have flailing around for a time at something, you know, and that I, I absolutely think, you know, you need to pursue these things your whole life. Um, you also said a decade ago that it's a, and this one, this one struck a particular chord with me. You said it's a good idea to stretch and strength train. Um, <laughs> uh Tell me about what wh where you were at at that time, um, uh, in 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 terms of that activity. Yeah. So 2014. Um, let's see. I probably maybe just had joined a gym. 
I've, I belong to a gym in Portsmouth um, called Gain Strength and Conditioning. And, you know, it, it is um, amazing what I have learned. As a runner, you, you think you can, you know, that your legs are strong, right? I think a lot of people think, oh, I don't need to, you know, maybe I need to do something with my upper body, but my legs are strong. Well, if you go, if you have somebody evaluate your strength, you may find that is not the case. And this is exactly, you know, the, the owner there, um, Justin Miner, when you join, he'll go through a series, like a 45 minute evaluation. And I found I had some huge lacking strength in my hamstrings and, you know, I didn't really know how to do a proper squat. I mean, just a lot of the basic stuff that if you were a high school or, or a college athlete, you would have learned, this would have been part of your, your training. But as a, an adult, I did not know any of this. So it has been, you know, unbelievable, remarkably how I've learned. I, you know, I, I think about and at, when I went to, to UNH, I, I took an anatomy class just so I'd have a clue of how my body worked. That was an elective. I just thought, you know, I have a body. I should probably know how it works, right? Well, what I think you learn from, from strength, from weight training is to feel how your body works. You know, that, that if you're doing, um, say a ring row that you can feel your your back shoulder blades come in all of this body consciousness i was clueless about until i started you know training and weights and so if i feel like it um it helps to bulletproof your body um it um when if you're doing a sport where you may fall and I know people, especially as, as they get older, get afraid of falling. Don't, don't, you know, if you strength train, it's going to help mitigate being injured. I fall as a trail runner, of course, and skiing and all the things like that. Uh, my strength training absolutely has helped me to not be seriously injured, right? Um, yeah, I go up a hill running now. I can feel the strength in my hamstrings. I feel you know, how my body's working. It's, it is an, an amazing discovery to have at, you know, as an adult that it makes a big difference in your life. Yeah. Um, it, again, sort of fast forward to today, you've now been, uh, practicing, uh, have been incorporating strength work, um, for the, for the better part of the last 10 years. Um, do you feel any differently about strength training now uh, with, with a decade of experience than, than I, you did back then, uh, just as a beginner? I feel it is the most important thing I've added to my life. You know, I, um, in the last decade, we've, you know, I, my parents have passed away, my in-laws have passed away. So there's been loss. And when you see your parents aging and the types of things they go through, you, you look at yourself and say, is there something I can do differently? Um, and the more we focus on building and, and maintaining our strength, the better we're situated for not just sports, but everything, everything in life. You're going to, you're going to be in a much better situation if you're, you know, you're a strong fit person, you'll look better. That's, you know, a side, I look, I always thought of that as the huge side benefit. You know, a lot of people pursue fitness and because of how they're going to look. Well, that never was <laughs> the main reason. It's a side benefit. It's nice to have, you know, tone in your muscles. The big benefit is that you're going to be able to keep doing the sports you love and, and hopefully be able to withstand 
different things that are going to happen as you age. So, mm-hmm. you know, I look at, at strength and training as a must, and it is not something that can, has to take a lot of time. I, it's consistency that has been the biggest thing. So mm-hmm. a couple, you know, two hours a week, and then I do a little something every day, stretching and, you know, that's it. And it has made a phenomenal difference in my life. Yeah. And I think at some point <clears throat> as we get older, the the strength training takes on uh, additional importance outside of just our athletic pursuits. Uh, I mean, the, as you know, um, we, um, we, 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 we do tend to lose skeletal muscle as a consequence of aging. Um, that age-related loss of skeletal muscle uh, oftentimes can result in um, uh, alterations, limitations in our functional ability, our ability to carry out uh, just everyday everyday mm-hmm. activities, activities of daily life. I mean, just again, outside of outside of our sporting interests, um, and um, th- th- there's no question that that strength training <clears throat> can tend to offset the loss of skeletal muscle as we age. It may be difficult for us to add a lot of muscle mass as we get older uh, for hormonal reasons uh, um, principally, Um, but for sure what strength training can do is help to offset the loss of skeletal muscle as we age. And I always, I always would, would, would tell my folks that there's a, um, there's a direct correlation between uh, muscle mass and strength. As you lose muscle, you lose strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you lose enough strength, particularly in your lower body, and I appreciate you uh, mentioning the importance of lower body strength work for, for endurance athletes. Yep. If we get to a point at which we lose enough strength in our lower body, uh, it can make uh, something like getting up off the floor um, very difficult to near Im- impossible. At some point for older folks, um, when they lose the ability to get themselves up off the floor, if heaven forbid they find themselves on the floor, they may lose the ability to live independently. Right. Now, this was always my pitch when I was when I was uh, espousing the benefits of strength training to uh, older populations, particularly older clinical populations, cardiac and pulmonary rehab. And I found that always struck a chord with them. Um, because, um, the fear of losing independence, uh, is a real fear for aging adults. Ideally, uh, in a, in a, in in an ideal situation, uh, we live independently, uh, uh, throughout the entirety of our life. But you and I both know that that is not, uh, that's not the reality, uh, for, for many older adults that at some point, um, they lose the ability to live independently. And I'm suggesting there's a, there is a direct correlation between strength, uh, strength that is gained uh, and, uh, uh, and defined and, and, and refined through strength training and the ability to live independently. So you know, if we, this conversation is about yeah. endurance athletes and runners. I, I, I think it extends well beyond that, uh, you know, as, as, as we get north of 40. Right. There's, there is stuff within our control that we can do and it is not inevitable. So, you know, why wouldn't you, right? Um, You know, I remember, you know, early on in the strength training when I went to open a jar of something and found I could, (laughs) because your, your, your grip is a big indication, right. Of your strength. And and then, so that's kind of my, you know, I, I just keep that in, whenever I have a jar that as long as I'm still able to, 
keep doing it. I know I'm doing the right things. And, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And I'll, and I'll pick up on, on one more thing um, before we move on to your fourth uh, lesson that you learned. And that is um, the aesthetic benefits of strength training. I have this, these conversations with my own clients all the time that in my experience, both personally and professionally, um, both, both strength training and, and endurance activities have, have real physical and physiologic benefit. There's no question about mm -hmm. that. Um, but I have found that, um, that, uh, consistency with strength work results in, uh, in more dramatic physical changes to our bodies. And, um, even if, even if the aesthetic point of it isn't, um, the driving force, when we begin to see physical changes in the mirror as a result of our consistency with strength training, I find that it becomes much easier to lean into that activity. Right. Uh, as runners, uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's as obvious the physical changes that we make. There's no question that running results in some very profound physiologic changes. Um, those changes aren't necessarily visible when we get out of the shower uh, and, and, and look in the mirror. Right. You got to check your blood pressure and, you know, your those types of things, which are the, you know, show you that your cardiac fitness is there because of your running. But yeah, when you work out when strength training, you physically don't have that. Um, I don't know what to say. It, it, your muscles remain more tight and you are just, it is a, it's a different look for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I think that can, that can create uh, additional inspiration mm -hmm. as a result to an activity strength training uh, that I, uh, I still find that it's difficult for, for endurance athletes, runners, particularly to do consistently. So mm -hmm. I think uh, you're a wonderful advocate in your experience yeah. yep. uh, is uh, results in, in, in being a wonderful advocate. Uh, 10 years ago, um, you, you, you also, uh, you also reflected upon this lesson and you said, uh, th 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 I find this interesting. Uh, and I agree with you. You said, never make a decision on whether or not to run within the first 15 minutes after you wake up. <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> from what was it about your personal experience at that time that led you to that really important and profound lesson? Um, I think, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with probably having a lot of sleep issues in that decade. Um, those, as you mentioned, the hormonal changes, especially women go through, there's this whole period of life where it's so hard to sleep. First, you can't sleep because you have little kids, then you can't sleep because you're, you know, heading towards menopause. Um, so you may wake up and just feel blah, right? And that that is, you should not automatically rule it out. I don't remember a single run that I ever said I was sorry I did. You know, I, you know, bar, I, barring any kind of injury or anything like that. But if you don't feel like you're going to run, yeah, don't, don't automatically rule it out because once you get going, you will feel better. And after you're guaranteed to be happy, you did it. So mm, I yeah. stand by that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So that, that so that was my follow-up question. Has, has that, has that lesson changed at all in the last 10 years? And I, what I'm hearing is no. No, it really hasn't. I just have to take into account, you know, as every runner does, you can, you have to be able to overlook some amount of discomfort to be a runner because at times it's very uncomfortable. So it is making that decision that am I just a little uncomfortable, but it's not really an injury. 
you don't want to be ignoring things that, and I have done this too. I, this is through <laughs> lessons learned, running through things that I shouldn't have, right? So if it's just, I'm feeling a little off because I didn't get enough sleep, that's different than I'm actually sick or I, um, I'm a little sore because maybe I did too much one day is different from I pulled something. So as long as you're making those decisions that way, um, again, remember almost 100% of the time, you'll be so happy you did it. So, mm. um, Yeah, and I think, I, I think it also uh, comes down to uh, allowing yourself some grace. Um, you know, if, uh, if, 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 if you do wake up and upon reflection, um, make the determination that today should be a non-active day because you need a little bit of extra recovery. Um, I think that, um, I think that it's important to allow yourself that as well, um, yeah. by not executing on a planned activity. Um, it, uh, it, it should not infer failure uh, in, in any way, shape or form. Right. Uh, We're in this for the long term, right? This isn't like a, a week to week thing. This is a forever thing. So if I I was sick a couple of weeks ago, in fact, and, and missed quite a few you know runs and you just pick it up again when you're ready to go and we keep moving forward. Mm, yeah, I think I think that's I think that's a great lesson. Uh, well, you you obviously um, are, a, are a are a lifelong learner and you have a and you have a. A particular fondness uh, for learning. I want to talk. I want to finish this with talking uh, about some uh, some 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 things that you've learned um, beyond running. Okay. Um, and uh, and and uh, I just your 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 vast experience as a uh, as an endurance athlete uh, and and as, and as a writer. I think uh, I, I think you have a lot of of really interesting things to share. Um, let let let's let's start with this. Um, you uh, you you recently um, had uh, some genetic testing done again mm -hmm. as, as part of as part of being a, a lifelong learner. Uh, uh, you <laughs> you 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 pursued a deeper understanding of self from a, a physiologic standpoint. Right. Um, Nancy, tell us about tell us about that. Right. I. Um... I, I did an ancestry test with traits. So what that does is it gives you your your family type, you know, your um, background, which was interesting enough. Um, my brother had done it a few years ago and, and the technology gets better and better. So you learn more about where your ancestors are from. And, you know, just from a, maybe where some of your pursuits really stem from. But the traits part, okay? So I always thought that I had some good sprinting ability. And, you know, one of the reasons I decided to do those sprints at the New Hampshire Senior Games really stems back from my days at track. And even before that in Nashville, where they'd have these field games and 50 yard dash, and I always did really well. So I thought, okay, I definitely have some sprinting ability. Well, guess what? <laughs> the genetics don't show that. One of the tests shows whether or not you have, they have, you have a collection of what's known as the sprinter genes. I do not. What came through is that my, it said that I have an elite level endurance genes. So meaning, you know, there, I am really primed to be an endurance athlete. 
I was absolutely shocked that I did not turn out to have this sprinter's gene. And it's kind of made me think, huh, so if I'm looking at track, you know, maybe it is really longer distances that I should really think about pursuing. Maybe I haven't trained appropriately to really find out what my, you know, my um, potential is. Um, you know, that that is part of what's come up. Also, the other thing that's a side thing of this is that if I'm out on a run and I'm feeling tired, I'll, I'll this little voice will go, yeah, but you've got this endurance <laughs> genetics. And so it helps to, you know, to keep me going. So uh, yeah, what do you think of that and in your background and as a coach and in your 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 understanding of yeah of this. yeah it, it's it's a fascinating it's a fascinating topic this uh, this idea of genetic uh, potential for me um, I, I think um, I think the expression of genetic potential comes down to two things it comes down to opportunity and experience you know there's a um, there's a we, we I remember. Uh, uh, learning about this when I was a grad student at, at Wake Forest University. And uh, we, we, we talked about um, uh, Eric Hyden, the, uh, the, the famous speed Olympic skater. speed skater. Um, and um, as it turns out, uh, Eric Hyden, who would go on to win, you know, a, a, a whole, a slew of Olympic gold medals, one of the, one of the, one of the most decorated uh, male uh, U.S. Olympians of all time, particularly a speed skater. As it turns out, where Eric Hyden grew up, uh, he grew up uh, in a in a location that had uh, an outdoor skating rink, speed skating rink. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you can appreciate that outdoor speed skating rinks are not uh, like as common as a, as a as a baseball field. Right. <laughs> But as it turns out, um, there was one that was uh, that was that was close to where he grew up, and so uh, he became connected to the sport uh, as a youth. Well, it, it it almost certainly, in order to excel at the Olympic level, uh, there there has to be a genetic predisposition to be able to perform uh, uh, in that particular sport, and undoubtedly, Eric Hyden had that genetic potential. But it never would have been expressed if not for the opportunity that presented itself with regard to growing up uh, uh, near uh, an outdoor skating rink. Right. And then the experience, right? Um, Eric Hyden didn't come to speed skating as a 40 or 50 year old. He started speed skating as a youth. Uh, and that, 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 that collective of opportunity and experience in the presence of genetic potential. Now I'm talking elite level genetic potential yeah. uh, resulted in um, nearly unmatched human performance. Now, of course, not all of us have the genetic potential to be Olympic athletes, um, but we all have both uh, opportunity uh, and the opportunity to gain experience. Um, so that's, that, 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 that's my take on, on, on genetic potential and how it potentially is expressed. You know, I think the, um, <laughs> the catch 22 to that sort of genetic testing is that, um, uh, it may, uh, unintentionally intentionally impose limitations. You talked about that, right. uh, in your column a decade ago about, 
uh, about how important it was to try new things and not set limits on yourself. I wonder, Nancy, mm-hmm. you know, if uh, if in reading the report uh, and you see that you, that, uh, you know, of, of your genetic traits, that one of them is not sprinting, uh, how much of that is a potential deterrent or a limiter in terms of in terms of your willingness to try that? Right, right. I mean, the reason, uh, you know, I, I started thinking about the running in the senior games, uh, a running group that I, I belong to at UNH um, at Wednesdays at noon, we get together. I've been a part of it for at least 10 years and we run lots and lots of intervals. So when I look at my times running these intervals, they were, you know, and I'd compare them to the race times. I saw that, huh, if I just concentrated on just doing that and not doing, you know, 10 of them, wonder how fast I could be. So yes, I totally understand, you know, and I, I obviously have some amount of speed, even if it isn't a, you know, the sprinter gene. So I will, I will keep that in mind that I do not let it limit myself <laughs> and, and thank my 10, 10 year ago column that I should really, you know, follow my own writing. Right. <laughs> I, think, I think you absolutely should. I think you were spot on back then. Uh, and uh, all of the all of those lessons that you reflected upon uh, at that time, uh, I, I think absolutely uh, ring true. Yeah. Um, so th- these are some of the other things that, um, uh, that 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 you mentioned that you've that you've learned over the years and uh, and the things that are important to you. You said, uh, and 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 I, I think this probably gets to your your Wednesday track group. You said find your people. Right. Um, you also as a as a side to that, you said you, that you were lucky to have an adventurous husband and friends. Um, what does, uh, you know, there, there's, there's the expression that, uh, your, your tribe is your vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nancy, who is your tribe? Right. And the tribe can, can change over the years too, or can be added to when I first started running, it was really a group of, of women in the neighborhood who were mostly in my same age and also sort of beginning running and, started with them and and had just so much fun and, and great adventures. And then I had interviewed for one of my running columns, Cynthia Kunlasa, who is a, a local well-known endurance athlete. And um, she's kind of mentioned, hey, you should come and run with us at this Wednesday track group that she started, which is a bunch of people that either have worked at UNH or in the area. She kind of collects people. If you if you meet Cynthia, you'll eventually be invited to this group, I'm sure. But um, what I've learned from, and also obviously my husband, who is a adventurous athletic person. So we're always off doing stuff together, um, which is wonderful. I know there are there are couples that don't have that person right there that says, hey, yeah, let's go for a bike ride or let's run together or whatever. We ski together a lot. Um, My particular tribe at UNH has helped me grow by looking at what possibilities are out there. They're, you know, one of the things I think that athletes need to to do, and maybe it's more women that have this intimidation. There's a lot of stuff you have to do alone. You can't depend hundred percent on doing something with someone else, um, especially, you know, as an endurance athlete, you have to be willing to go on runs alone. You have to be willing to run races where you just show up and don't know anybody. And being with my Wednesday group with Cynthia, with, you know, Jen Johnson and, um, 
you know, Mike St. Laurent and Michelle Grenier, a whole bunch of people that I have grown to know and love. And their example has made me braver, you know, more willing to try these things. You, the idea of running on a trail alone as a woman can is intimidating. And I'm not saying that there aren't times that I'm still a little, you know, you get that, hey, I'm out here all alone, whether it's animals or people. But I know I have that whole bunch of people that do this all the time and it, and it normalizes that, right? Um, it's been a huge positive influence. So you, if you're with people that have this gusto and this courage and adventure, that becomes the person that you're going to start to be. And it's it's been just a hugely great benefit in my life. Mm. Um, yeah, it's in... Um... It's through those groups that oftentimes we find our inspiration, uh, our purpose and direction by uh, by modeling their example. Right. Um, and great follow up to uh, to something else that you've said, and that's that not to let fear keep you from trying. So if it's um, if if it's not a fear uh, of 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 trying, then what? What, what what's the inspiration? What's the draw to trying something new? If if it isn't if it isn't based on fear, then what is it based on? Well, I think when I think about that, I think that even if there is fear, there will be fear. You do it anyway. Um, the reason to try new things is to, I mean, we have one life, and and why wouldn't you? try to experience something new. Don't put the limits on yourself because there is a first time for everybody doing anything. So you need to understand that you can get through it, you know, even if even if it's scary at first. Um, I learned to ski as an adult back when the skis were still pretty long and not as easy to maneuver as the new ones. And um, you know, you just you just keep trying at trying and not being too afraid that you're going to fall or that, you know, you're not going to be perfect, as we've talked about. You're not if you're learning something new. Um, it's going to add to your life and, and it may take you places that you would not have have gone otherwise. You also say that it's important. And, and one of the things that you've learned is to is to hang out with with people both younger and older than right. yourself. Than yourself. Right. Why, why is that important? Super important. I, I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, that there is a, a bias against aging in our culture. But if you are with people who are older and thriving and interesting and active, you don't see that as your, you know, this is going to happen to me, this negative part. It's, it can be very positive. And the younger people will help to keep you <laughs> on your toes, you know, from a running point of view, you know, I uh, running with people that are a decade or so younger than me is is just what I need sometimes to keep me on my toes and, and moving and uh, uh, not uh, slack off too much. So I, I think it's, uh, it's a it's a positive way of, of finding where you are in your path in life and um, and not letting any preconceived notions of what it's supposed to mean when you're 50 or 60 or 70 or 80. Gary Ruder, you know, is an impressive person. And, you know, he's out there 
hiking Mount Washington multiple times every year. And, you know, I look at him and, and you know, I recently, my husband and I uh, were on a trip out to Colorado and I had never really known about this Manitou incline if it wasn't for Gary, who um, had trained on it to do the Pikes Peak Ascent, as which is a half marathon up Pikes Peak. So we did that hike and, you know, he was my inspiration. And so I think it's important that you have these people that are, that are older doing interesting things and uh, right. And the younger ones to keep you on your toes. Mm. Um, this is obviously related to, uh, <laughs> to the Manitou incline. You said you, you have said, and you say uh, that adults need to play. You actually use an exclamation point right. uh, with, 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 with this one. Right. Um, what, 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 what does that mean for you? I think that it, what can happen is people get very set in their routine and, and from a physical point of view, don't put themselves out there. And there is, you know, many, many times if I'm out on a trail run, I will stop, look around and go, how can there be anything more fun than this? And if you're having fun and, you know, it's quote exercise, it, the fun part is keeps your spirit there. Um, there is, you know, all the gains you have physically, but but playing games, you know, whether it's you know it's running or you're skiing or you know, my husband and I started playing pickleball this summer. There, you're learning skills, but you're also just enjoying life. Life can be serious. Life is hard. You know, we go through things that are really difficult, and things are thrust upon us that we have to be able to manage. And if you have this part of your life that is, is you're actively involved in, um, it makes a huge difference. I mean, we're not huge watchers of people doing sports, except when it comes to track where I will watch all that. So we, we don't spend a lot of time watching football or, or, or those types of things. I would much rather do it and um, keep, that part of your life that never goes away. You're still a child in some aspects. Um, and it, and it just, it's, it's fun. And I know that the people I know who are older have that same essence to them. There's this ageless quality. And I think it really revolves around play. Mm. Um, certainly the, the, the decades, uh, of our forties, uh, and our fifties, which I can speak to, I can't yet speak to, uh, anything beyond that, but for sure, the decades, uh, of our forties and fifties, um, are characterized by a tremendous amount of change, mm -hmm. but, um, but, but, but through that change, I think that there are opportunities for growth. And this is this this is the final lesson that you shared with me that change and growth uh, go hand in hand. For you, Nancy, uh, can you think of, uh, of 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 one or or a couple of uh, uh, experiences that you've had in which um, through change you have grown? Yes, definitely. Um, when I look at change, I look at the changes that happen to us and the changes we initiate. And, you know, change is difficult. And it's whether we are accepting a new role, you know, to try out a new job or whatever, or something happens to us, it still can be really uncomfortable, right? 
Um, from a running point of view, one of the things that um, that you learn when you're running is is you've got this little voice in your head that's always saying, "You can do this. You can do this. You can get through this." That allows you to be able to get through things that are, are more difficult. I think you know when the pandemic happened. I mean, it was a worldwide adapting to a change, right? We all had to figure out how do we go forward, and having that resilience and knowing that you can get through it made a huge difference. I remember being in the the parking lot of of Market Basket, and my dad at the time was in a um, like assisted living place, and I it was March 2020, and so we had really no idea about the pandemic other than the world shut down. I couldn't go visit him. He needed groceries. So I would sort the groceries between my family's and his, and I was wiping everything down with the Clorox because that's what we did back then. March, it's freezing. And I remember thinking, I can't, I can't do this. You know, I just can't do this. And deep somewhere in, in my mind, this little voice said, you can, you can do this. So through the, the, the process of, of running and being an endurance athlete, it, has allowed me to handle things in a in a better manner that I can um, accept changes that are happening and um, you can adapt, right? I think adapting, knowing that life is never gonna be a straight shot, that you can go forward um, and and you know just keep moving ahead. What do you uh, what What do you suspect that change without growth looks like or results in? It looks like people fighting uh, against something. There's a lot of you know what I see. If you can't accept a change, then then it's it's a, a lot of anger, um, uh, this resistance, um, yeah, and, and anger, and and it, and it's not healthy. You know, I, I, we, there is no way you can go through life in one manner because you're not, in, not in charge of everything. There's all kinds of factors that come in, into our lives and you developing a mindset where you, you know, that, you know, thing you're going to have to adapt rather than just fight. It's, it leads to a much happier life. I, I, you know, we have just this one life, right? So you need to figure out your way through it um, and, and, and accept and adapt to things thrown your way that you, you know, otherwise wouldn't have chosen. For the listener who um, feels connected with, um, with, 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 with these lessons and, and many of the other things that you've talked about, um, how do they follow your current work? Well, I have really gone to a very different side of writing currently. Um, I, you can follow me on a, uh, a website or on social media called Seacoast Moms, which is a, uh, a group of women who write about parenting. And I am taking it from the empty nest kind of um, time of life. So writing about, you know, as a, as a parent and, and strategies for older kids and that kind of thing. So currently that would be the best way to follow me. Uh, and I will, I will link 
that website uh, in the show notes. Thank you. Um, Nancy, this has been a wonderful conversation. It was everything that I expected that it would be. And uh, I, I thank you so much for, Chris, for joining me on the show. Just great speaking with you. Thanks a lot, Chris. The hallmarks of a great storyteller include enthusiasm for the subject or subject matter, the ability to empower others by helping them find their voice, being vulnerable, personable, and authentic, and being able to engage the audience and hold their attention. All of these come through in her writing. You owe it to yourself to give her work a read. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my X and Threads account at Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half Walk Double. So make sure to check it out. And lastly, Remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.